Yo, today's QOD is Deep Work is the killer app of the knowledge economy. Here we go. Welcome back to the Quote of the Day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. We got a brand new speaker on the show today. His name is Cal Newport. I've been reading this book, Deep Work, over this last week. And this book right here is a game changer. Let me tell you what deep work is. Deep work. Professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. So the question is, how much time are you spending in deep work, distraction-free work, where you are working on your craft and producing something? You ever wonder how, Authors get so many books written, so they come out with a new book every year. You're like, damn, how are they sitting there writing so many books? Because they're in a state of deep work and concentration. What most of us do is like shallow work, and then we distract ourselves. Shallow work, Facebook, shallow work, TV, shallow work, Instagram, constantly checking notifications. So we're never, our brains never get a chance to go into a deep state of concentration and flow. But we're all capable of that. We just have to change our environment. He's going to talk about um, Bollingen Tower. So I want to give that some context. Bollingen Tower is a two-story stone home that the famed psychologist Carl Jung uh, built for himself. And there was no electricity there. It's just where he went to work and to write distraction free. And he meditated and he went on walks and that was it. So if you ever wonder like how Carl Jung got so much stuff done, how there's so many just volumes of his work, that was how he did it. And that's what you can do. Remember little by little, a little becomes a lot. So if you're doing two hours of deep work every day, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., however you want to do it, that's, if you did that six days a week, that's 12 hours a week. That's 48 hours a month. Imagine what you can produce with that time. You know, I think it's uh, 80-something percent of people want to write a book, but we never get it done. People write books because they do that 48 hours a month of focused, deep work and concentration. And so this applies to me as well. I've been kind of getting off my deep work style. I've been messing around with Instagram too much. You know, I'm always on Instagram. And so I've set aside time. I've actually set aside an entire room, my deep work room with a brand new computer in there, no distractions, internet's turned off on the computer. Boom, here's my three hour block every day to work and get things done. And I encourage you to do the same. Also pick up Cal's book, Deep Work. You're going to love it. Here's Cal. 
This gentleman knows a lot about this. You might recognize him if you're a fan of business books. This is the Wharton professor and business book author, Adam Grant. So he wrote Give and Take, he wrote Originals. He has a new book out with Sheryl Sandberg, Plan B, or Option, I think it's Plan B or Option B, one of these two. That's Adam Grant. What people don't always know about Adam is that in addition to being this sort of best-selling business author, he's a serious academic. That's not always a given. I mean, there's a lot of business book authors. I mean, I know this world, and so not to let you in on a secret, there's a lot of business book authors that have a business school affiliation who are really not serious academics. So you can get a lot of tenuous associations with business schools. That's not the case with Adam Grant. He's, he's a serious professor. The thing about Adam is he's my age. He's like one year older than me, and he's a full professor at Wharton which is the top rank in the US system. When he got named the full professor, he was the youngest full professor at Wharton, probably the youngest full professor in Wharton's history. He won't let me say that, he made me take it out of the book because he's very data-driven and he doesn't have the exact data to show that there wasn't maybe a younger full professor sometime in the late 1800s, so I now say he's one of the, one of the youngest full professors, but it's a very impressive thing. So how did Adam Grant become one of the youngest full professors in Wharton history? Well, the proximate answer is obvious. You just go look at his CV, right? I mean, in, in research academia in the US, what matters is peer-reviewed publications, research, research, research. That's what matters. This guy publishes about a factor of two more high-quality peer-reviewed journal papers per year than most of his peers at elite business schools. That's how he became one of the youngest full professors in Wharton history. All right, so the real question is, how does Adam Grant publish almost a factor of two more high-quality peer-reviewed papers than his peers? Well, I asked him, and the answer, it turns out, has a lot to do with deep work. So what Grant does, it's actually pretty interesting. He takes his course responsibilities for the whole year, and he puts all of the courses into the fall semester. So the fall semester is his teaching semester, and when he's in the teaching semester, that's what he does. His door is open, he's famously accessible as far as his students are concerned. We can validate that this works well because he's already won at least once a university-wide teaching distinction. Okay, that leaves in the spring and the summer, free from course obligation, so he has a lot more flexibility with his schedule to work on the research that's at the core of his career. During this period, what he then does is he'll put aside these periodic stretches of multiple days in which he does nothing but work deeply on a single research problem. So he'll fall off the grid for one, two, three, sometimes four days in a row where you can't reach him. He's just working on a research problem. It's to the point where he told me that his colleagues are often confused. He'll say, Adam, I just got an out of office email responder from you, and I'm literally looking at you in your office right now. I, mean, I, I don't understand what this means, but Adam's point is, I don't want there to be any expectation that you can reach me when I'm in one of these deep work modes. So it's almost as if he's retreating to his own Bollingen Tower without actually having to build a large stone building outside of Zurich. Of course, the success of his books, he probably could right now, but, uh, but he just, it's in his office, but psychologically it's Bollingen Tower. He then leaves those modes and he's completely accessible again. You know, it's back to Zurich mode. Yeah, my door is open, I'm very accessible. If, if you email him, he'll email you right back. And then he disappears in the Bollingen Tower mode again. Then he comes back out the Zurich mode, then goes back in the Bollingen Tower mode. This is how he works on his research. Now, here's the key point. I'd bet $1,000 that if you actually followed him around with a stopwatch and counted the total number of hours that he's spending per year in his Bollingen Tower mode working on research, it would not be more hours 
than his typical peer spins on research at an elite business university. Adam Grant almost certainly is not working more total hours than his peer on this core task. Business professors work hard. Unlike him, they do it full year. Remember, he takes a whole semester off. They work most days on the research. He only does it in these stretches. I'm sure it about evens out. And yet he's producing almost a factor of two more high quality output per year. So something about working in this state of unbroken concentration is allowing him to produce much more. Now, why would that be? Well, again, we can ask Adam. And if you ask Adam, he has a very clear answer. His motivation, his motivation for adopting this style had to do with the research results of a friend of his, Sophie Leroy, another professor, psychologist, who studied an effect called attention residue. This is a, a crucial, crucial effect to understand if you want to understand productivity in the knowledge age. Attention res residue is a very simple effect to, to replicate in the laboratory. Here's how you do it. You take an undergraduate, you sit them down, you give them complicated puzzles to work on. There's certain types of puzzles you can use in this research where uh, you can measure very clearly what their performance is, how long is it taking them to solve the puzzle. So you, you get the undergraduate, put them in a lab, you start them working on these puzzles. You can measure how their, how their performance is doing uh, each minute. And then you have the researcher come in and, and tap you on the shoulder and says to the undergrad, oh, I'm sorry, you know, we, we forgot to fill something out on your form. Can you just come over for a second? Two minutes, and just fill out this form, put them back to the, the hard puzzles they're working on. If you do this in the lab, what you notice is that their performance on those cognitively demanding tasks plummets once they return to the puzzle from that brief interruption. Sophie Leroy calls this attention residue, that shift of context to something else leaves a residue in your brain that remains when you switch back to the primary task. And it can take a long time to clear, 5, 10, 15 minutes for this to clear out. And you can actually just graph their performance over time. They're doing fine, doing fine, two-minute distraction, they're down here. It takes a while for it to come back up. So what Adam Grant realized is that the way that most of his peers were working and the way that most conscientious knowledge workers work is as follows. They basically say, I'm working on something hard right now. I'm single tasking. I don't have multiple windows open. I've turned off my notifications. I know all about that. I'm just single tasking on this one hard thing, except every five or 10 minutes, you do the quick check. I'm mainly doing this. Let me just quick check my inbox. Okay, there's 30 seconds. I'm back to this. Let me quick check my phone. Okay, now I'm back to this. Let me quick check what's going on out there, right? And it feels like you're single tasking. It feels like you're doing the right thing. But if these quick checks are frequent enough, what you're doing is leaving yourself in a persistent state of attention residue. You never allow this residue time to clear out before you slather some more on, before you slather some more on. And what, what happens is, is that you're essentially keeping yourself in a persistent state then of reduced cognitive performance. So what Adam Grant is doing when he goes into Bollingen Tower mode and works hour after hour after hour with no quick checks, no interruptions, no distractions, is that he allows all of the attention residue to clear out and is then able to work at his full cognitive capacity. The result is that same number of hours he spends as his peers, he's able to get almost twice as much output out of it. This is a general trait of deep work. The fact that distraction-free plays such a prominent role in the definition is for exactly this reason. It is the absence of any distraction that allows deep work to push your mind to levels that most people never get to. And therefore, you're able to produce a higher quantity of work and a higher quality of work for the time you actually spend working on your projects. Now, why is that important to knowledge workers? Well, this should be obvious that in an increasingly competitive knowledge economy, the ability to produce at an elite level 
is increasingly necessary, especially if you want to replace being automated, you want to avoid being outsourced, you want to avoid being replaced. Right? So deep work is fundamentally important to knowledge work. I'm not the only people who thinks this. This is The Economist, back from right after my book came out. This was the phrase they used. Deep work is the killer app of the knowledge economy. It's not my phrase, but I like it, so I'm going to steal it because I think it captures what I'm trying to say here, which is that deep work is not about distractions seem kind of bad, or we have some nostalgia for our time before it, or that maybe it'd be nice to be a little bit more productive. What we're talking about here is a killer app, something that if you embrace and cultivate is going to give you the sort of Adam Grant, Carl Jung style, huge competitive advantages over other people who don't ever work in states of full cognitive capacity. That was Kyle Newport wrapping up our week. His website is kylenewport.com. You can watch today's one-hour talk on YouTube. It's called Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And I think he has a new book. I think it's called like A World Without email or something like that. So check that one out as well. All right. Hope you enjoyed this week's clips. Hey, follow me on that Instagram, but don't look at my Instagram when you're in your deep work. Just stay in your deep work. Leave your phone outside of the room. That's what I'm doing. I'm only going on Instagram uh, at what? what is it? What's my, my designated Instagram time now? Uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time and after, but nothing before. So Give yourself a schedule for when you're doing the distractions. Anyway, I'm out. I will see you on Monday. Peace.